for listening to Hope Central's latest message. You can learn more about Hope Central or find more messages at hopecentral.org.au. with you a message today that uh, is sort of foundational to where we're going to be going during the course of this year. And let me start by saying a, a story that uh, I heard, and I don't know if it's true. Well, uh, for years, I was involved in youth ministry. And uh, when I started youth ministry, I started working on the streets in Vancouver. And the, the street life is a pretty disordered life. I don't know if you know that. You don't know where you're going to sleep. You don't know where you're going to get your next meal. Uh, kids are quite rough. Uh, at times violent, there's gangs, and there was all kinds of things. And, and we ran a little drop-in center on the streets, and we tried to make this a great place for youth to come. And I was really struggling with this idea of being able to tell an unruly young person to behave themselves, and felt like that would kind of make the whole place lame if we just kind of made them follow a pile of rules make them really, really rigid rules in this drop-in center. I'm talking about these are people that whole life is random, and then they come in our drop-in center, and we expected them to follow very strict rules of behavior. And while I was struggling with that, a person told me a story. He said there was an experiment done where um, somebody in in a high school setting noticed that at the lunchtime, recess time, that all of the students went out into the playing field But rather than just be on the field, they all went up to the boundaries of the field where there was a fence. The fence had enclosed the school property, and all of the young people just went out to the fence where they hung out in their groups right on the boundary. And so they decided to do an experiment, and that experiment was one night they took down the fence just to see what the young people would do. And young people, you need to know this, adults are constantly playing mind games with you. So they took down the fence, and the next day, all of the young people didn't know where to go. So they all congregated in a bundle in the middle of the field. And he said, the person who told me the story said that that proved to them that people like boundaries, that people actually need boundaries. Sure, if you're a young person, you'll walk right up to the boundary. You'll probably push on the boundary, lean on the boundary, burn the boundary down. But there's still a boundary, and it was something to you. It meant something. You, you needed to know where it is. Today we're talking about order again, and we're going to be talking about that all this year, about the importance of order. And today I want to emphasize this idea. Human beings are made for order. Human beings are made for, you are made for order. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not all kinds of creativity. There's not that there's like tons of different variety and all sorts of different things, and you weren't made to follow your creative instincts. But Even inside of those creative instincts, there is order. Imagine what it would be like for a painter if he's trying to mix colors of paint and finds that every time he mixes blue and green, it turns, or sorry, blue and yellow, it sometimes goes green, sometimes it goes red. Like it doesn't make, it doesn't, you can't be creative if there isn't order to work from. In in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, the Apostle Paul, in trying to bring order to a chaotic church, reminds the people that God is a God of order. And he says this way, he says, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Some translations, because it is Greek to English, say, 
God does not want us to be in disorder, but in harmony and in peace. And so we see in this scripture that what God wants for us is to us to be like him, following his orderly way of being, because if we follow order, then we will ultimately get peace, because we don't thrive in chaos. And if you look at the very beginning of the scriptures, the very, if you open your Bible and you get past the genuine leather part, which is the first book, the first words in the Bible, genuine cowhide, unless it's not cowhide, that joke is just not worth telling. Can you make a note of that, anyone? I was right. At the very beginning, it says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from darkness. Over the years, I've spent a lot of time on this passage because... I was trying to use it to help uh, myself understand how to interpret Hebrew better. And I came across a couple of really fun words in there. When it says without form, that word without form is this fantastic Hebrew word tohu, which in my mind is tofu, just because it's a very negative connotation and nobody likes tofu, (laughs) except for Paul, but he's unusual. And this idea is that, so here at the very beginning of all of the story that God is writing, he's saying, I made everything, and here's how it all started. It started without form. It started formless. It started in confusion, in emptiness, in, in a kind of unreality. It, it, it was like an empty space of nothingness. It was unreal to, to existence. It, it, it was a wasteland because it was like that, and, and it's a place of chaos, And ultimately, because there was no sort of reasonableness or purpose to it, it was all so vain. Like, it just didn't amount to anything. And not only that, it was kind of stuck in this void, which is the Hebrew word bohu. So, tohu and bohu, which sounds like a great 70s band, you know, hippies singing songs, which is tohu and bohu as well. 70s hippie songs, never mind. Just really not doing great with these jokes today. It was an emptiness. It was void. It was waste. And, and it was covered over with this darkness, which is fantastic Hebrew word koshek, which is, sounds like Klingon to me, but it, it just it sounds like what it is. It, it sounds not good, big, strong, powerful, and domineering and keeping things in its chaotic, formless fashion. And so God overcomes this, and look how God overcomes it. He says, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Any, any lovers of physics in the classroom today? I, I love physics. I'm not, I'm not an expert on physics, but one of the things that I, I, I do love is, the, is general relativity and special relativity, and especially Einstein's equations. And Einstein put together probably one of the most famous physics equations that you've ever heard of. You've you've heard this before? E equals mc squared. E stands for energy. M stands for mass. That's the the, the amount of displacement weight that an object has. C stands for the speed of light. And then you square that. When you square the speed of light, just in case you're wondering, you get 9 times 10 with 16 zeros. Does that make sense? It's... Does that, you get how big that number is, 
right? It's 9 times 10 with 16 zeros after it. It's a huge number. And E, the energy of something, the energy of this. I'll take this back off of this thing here. No, I, I could. This little piece of plastic has enough energy to power the city of Adelaide for probably six months. When you break down the bonds that hold the elements of this together in an atomic explosion, not a perfect one, not the ones that we do today, they're imperfect and only a small amount of the energy is preserved, but if you could do it perfectly, that would power the city for six months. There's so much energy, but the energy is there inside of all things. And how much energy depends on the mass of it, so how much there is of it, and then the multiplier which is the speed of light squared. And it's always the speed of light because in physics, that's the universal contact, uh, constant. It never changes. You see, when God was trying to put order into the universe, he did it in a way that's discoverable. In fact, we found it by our own equations that the speed of light and light itself creates the concept so that the mass of things and the energy within the mass of those things then relates to all other things in an orderly way. Let me show you how some of that works. The earth is in exactly the right spot. Now that's physics. You can't just tuck the earth up close to the sun because it's too hot. The atmosphere boils off and everybody dies. You can't just leave the earth too far away because then it's, it's too cold, but it's also too far away from the mass of the sun. For the weight of the earth and the weight of the, of the sun are in perfect harmony, and it has to be in those positions, or it collapses in or it flings out, or you'd have to change the speed of it. But if you're going to change the speed of it, again, the speed of something determines its mass, and so the mass and the speed work together, and you can't just change that. It's in exactly the right spot. They call it the Goldilocks zone because it's not too hot and it's not too cold and it's porridge but also the earth. The earth is not solid. There is a very small percentage of the earth that's solid, the outer crust. It's actually not that thick relative to the earth's size, but we think of it being solid because we're standing on this, but every now and then a volcano erupts and liquid hot magma comes (laughs) up from the center and we discover that we're actually just floating on the surface of a liquid earth. But why is the earth liquid? Well, the earth is liquid because the rock, the substance of the earth that's liquid churns and turns, and in its turning it creates a magnetic field. And that magnetic field protects the earth against the sun's solar rays. If if the earth was not liquid inside, we would all be dying, or we couldn't live on the planet because of cosmic radiation. Something very important if they ever fly to Mars and they're outside of the earth's gravitational field, that they will have to be able to survive and probably end up getting cancer from the long journey outside of the protection of the earth. You see, if God hadn't made the earth in this orderly way, then the people on the surface couldn't survive. But it's not just that. It's also the moon. See, the moon is the exact right weight in proportion to the earth's weight, in proportion to the sun's weight, in proportion to how close it is so that it pulls on the earth just 
right because it was too far away, it couldn't affect our tides, but it's just right to cause the tidal effect that if you've ever seen, it creates the, the lifeblood pumping of the world's water. It rises and falls, rises and falls. It's like the heart of the world, and it just washes and cleanses and moves the earth around. And because of the tides, we can have all of the kinds of things that emerge from the tides, like all of the species of fish. But not just the tides, it's also the tilt of the earth. The earth is exactly 23.5 degrees on a tilt. And because the earth is on a tilt and not straight up and down, it means that as the earth travels around the sun in the same tilt, that some parts of the earth are closer to the sun in certain seasons and other parts of the earth are, are closer to the sun in a different season. So right now, like when I called my parents in Canada on Christmas Day, it was like minus 30 degrees. And I'm like, ha ha, you're far from the sun. No. But because the earth is on a tilt, all of the seasons of the earth change. And because they change, we can have all of the flora and fauna that associate with those things, and it creates a habitable space for people on planet Earth, and without the seasons, we wouldn't have the life that we have. You see, everything is just perfect. Everything is placed in a fixed pattern. And because it's in order, it works, and we thrive in order, and we wither in chaos. And so God said, let there be light. There's a quote here. This is from BMC Research. Uh, publishes stuff on, on health, especially when it comes to social health. Here's a quote. Household chaos represents the level of disorganization or environmental confusion in the family home. It's characterized by high levels of background stimulation, lack of family resources, absence of predictability, and structure of daily activities and an overly fast pace of family life. There's people, there's scientists right now that are looking at the fact that our, our worlds and our family units and what we call home is becoming increasingly disorganized. There's so much stimulation going on. There's so many things. I mean, in the ancient days, there was no light. You couldn't turn a switch on. When it got dark, it got dark as the sun went down because your earth was tilted away. God had given you seasons of sleep and of rest and, and of times of change, but it was all orderly. But now we control the environment, so we stimulate, 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 stimulate. And things aren't regular. They're not coming at us in, re in repeatable ways. There's nothing for us to get used to. Daily activities are unstructured and unpredictable, and children growing up in, their, in those environments, this is what they say happens to them. Importantly, the construct of household chaos has been associated with a diverse range of adverse childhood outcomes including poor social-emotional functioning, cognitive development, academic achievement, and behavioral problems. Now, this is, to give credit, the uh, Marsh, Dobson, and Madison, in their paper, The Relationships Between Household Chaos and Child, Parent, and Family Outcomes, a systematic coping, scoping review from BMC Public Health. You see, what they're saying is that they see children that grow up in families where it's, everything's too busy and the children can't cope. They can't cope with life because they can't regulate themselves. They don't have good interpersonal relationships because they haven't learned those skills. And they can't learn those skills because house, home is, is sometimes crazy. Where are we going now? Now we're going to band practice. Now we're going to soccer practice. Now we're going to this practice. Now we're going to what's online? Who's online? What's online? Online. What are you watching now? We're all watching 16 different things. Let's talk about 14 different things. Let's, let's, let's go everything. And when chaos reigns at home, here's what it means. Human children can't grow up into human adults. 
and they grow up unhealthy. Now, we all live in a world of chaos. I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's getting a bit crazy. There is so much going on. Um, here's a couple of things I wrote on the list. Technology. Technology is changing so fast. You know what? Recently, I got a new laptop, and because I got a new laptop, then my printer wouldn't work with my old laptop. Right? So I had to get a new printer. Well, somebody had graciously set up my laptop, so I didn't have to figure out how that worked. But my printer, I had to set up myself. So I bought it, I brought it home, and I kept it for four months. And I didn't get it out of the box, even, because I knew I needed, was going to have to have a bunch of peace and quiet. I had to say to the entire neighborhood and all the family unit, nobody contact me for a week. I'm going to try to figure this thing out. We're launching the moonshot project here. I was panicking that I wouldn't be able to figure out the tiny intricacies because I'm, I'm getting to a less plastic brain stage and I can't figure out things so fast anymore. See, technology is happening all the time and the evolution of that technology is just hard to keep up with. What about work? I mean, work used to be kind of straightforward. You went out in the field, you hoed. Things grew. You went back and cut them down later. But now it's like this. You've got to go here. You've got to have that specialty. You've got to go there. You sometimes have a job for six weeks, six months, three years. Then you move on. You've got a career advancement. Then you're sometimes you're in management. Then you're working. And then there's all the ways you're getting paid. Sometimes you've got to work from home. Then you're working online. Then you're working back home and on, online. It's like everything is constantly changing with work. And it's not predictable like it used to be. International trade. I mean, who knew when the Australian government said, uh, let's have an investigation into the outbreak of COVID, let's see what happened in China, that suddenly people selling lobsters in Tasmania had no market because the Chinese government cracked down on everything. Like, we, we are in an international world now where comments and things that are happening, manufacturing processes that are happening in, in Taiwan right now, and the conflict with the Chinese government there right now is affecting the production of computer chips, and so you can't get your new vehicle when you expect it to get your new vehicle. It's all complicated. What about climate change? Do you believe in it? Don't believe in it? What does it mean? What are you supposed to do? What are you not supposed to do? Do I throw this out? Do I recycle that? What kind of car am I supposed to drive? Where am I supposed to go? You know, right now, my car is having climate change problems. I'm having problems with my EGR valve. That's exhaust gas something valve. I don't know what the R is. Maybe that's radius. My car is designed to burn some of its waste gases. It pumps them back inside its, in, in my own motor. I'm like, I don't put that dirty stuff back in my car. I've got, got a valve that makes sure I don't pollute. Pumps it back in. Well, it's faulty, so sometimes my car works great, sometimes it doesn't work at all. What about politics? Where do you stand? What do you say? What are you supposed to do? It's all complicated. What are people really saying? What do they mean? And then, of course, everybody seems so angry, and then the same thing happens again and again. So who's really changing anything? What about health? It used to be really simple. You got old, you died. Right? Now you get old and they replace your hip, then your knee, then your neck, and your eyes, and your ears. You're, you know, you're half bionic by the time. You know, we just, we're on every kind of medication that keeps us going. And, and health is, is complicated because we're living longer. You know, when I became a pastor, I did not think I was going to have to know things about epidemiology. I, 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 how am I supposed to know all of this stuff? I'm just supposed to read the Bible. Now I've got to know everything about people's health outcomes. 
What about media? Oh, in media, it used to be real simple. Somebody said something in the town square, and then you ignored them. But now, it's, we've got every kind of publication coming us in from a thousand different sources in a thousand different ways. And do you really this or don't read that? If you, if you are looking at something on Facebook, and it's, I, the other, I, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, I searched for a few things on YouTube, on my television, for you know, different things that are happening around the world. Now it constantly gives me those things. I'm like, I was just asking a question. Leave me alone. My TV is an algorithm that tells me I want more of this. I'm like, no, I was looking at it because it was wrong. Don't give me more. Sorry. Here's a fun one. I love to talk to people about this today. I mean, money used to be complicated and crazy. And then, of course, there's credit, which is something to do with money, but not exactly. Now we've got cryptocurrency, Bitcoin mining, Ethereum, Solana, Dogecoin. I, you know, I ask people, even people who trade in this, I oftentimes, when they tell me they're trading in, I say to them, can you please explain to me what cryptocurrency is? And almost nobody can tell me. I'm like, and you're spending thousands on it, and you don't even know what you're doing. I've researched it a lot. I could explain it some parts to you, little pieces. <laughs> anyway, not making any comment, or all financial recommendations occurring during this sermon are to be disregarded. <laughs> but I'm just saying, what a crazy world. What are we supposed to do? I, I, I've been a pastor now for about 25 years. And since I've been a pastor, I've done a lot of weddings. And before I do weddings, I usually do marriage counseling. And when I do marriage counseling with people, I usually give them a Taylor Johnson temperament analysis in which they will get a chart that looks like this that will place them on, give them a score. It measures nine different temperaments of human beings. And then they, helpfully, when it was done, Taylor Johnson added a shaded area so that you would know what was normal. Or... Let's just call it healthy because it won't affect the relationships in a negative way. And I used to do these tests, and I would regularly have people score inside of most of the shaded areas. Now when I give these tests to people, I almost never get scores that are inside of the nervous composed shaded area or lighthearted versus depressive. Almost everybody is in the anxious score and also, on the other side, which is self-discipline versus impulsive, people are either managing their anxiety with high degrees of self-discipline controlled behavior or really impulsive, I need to follow my own feelings to make myself feel better. And those scales have told me that since the 1960s when this test was done till now, normal is no longer normal. We need to write a different shaded area. And you would be weird if you were really composed and lighthearted. That's going to create a problem in your relationships. You're far too calm. <laughs> so what do you do? You just go back to the simple life? By the way, Googling pictures of the simple life does not produce pictures of open fields. It produces pictures of Paris Hilton. I didn't know that. <laughs> so what can I do short of disconnecting from the world? Have you ever heard this saying, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from nesting in your hair? Right? Yeah, although some people, I see you've done quite a good job of creating a good nesting environment. <laughs> Not looking at anybody. <laughs> you see, if you, 
if your solution to an ordered life is for the world to stop being disordered, you're, you're going to fool yourself. It's not going to work. You cannot, you can't roll back COVID. You can't roll back all of the changes that are happening in technology. You can't roll back international politics. You can't roll back work life. You can't roll back these things. There is no way to go back. And, and here's one of the things that, uh, I've got to say this just right. There's a certain segment of the Christian world that thinks what we ought to do is get the world to stop being less bad so that I can feel more safe. And I want to say to you that that's not God's way. Christ works to redeem us and transform us, and then we become the light to the disordered world. Do you see what I mean? I, I heard of somebody say once, you know, you've got to keep your children, keep, keep your children safe. The world's dangerous. Keep your children safe. The world's dangerous. Don't let them go anywhere, do anything, be anywhere that's dangerous or unsafe. And, and I thought to myself, I want to raise children that are dangerous to the world, not put them in a world that's dangerous to them. I want my kids to fix what's wrong, not go out there and be influenced by what's wrong. But you can't do that until you order them so that they're able to go out and change the world. You see, order prevents chaos, and we need to put order into our lives so that what is going on around us doesn't sweep us into its chaos. And if your life has become anxious and confused and disordered because of the things that are happening around you, the signal is not to disconnect, but to find out what will help you find order in your own world so that those changes don't affect you because you are stable, calm, and certain. Now, chaos. I want to give you just this one tip before we finish. One time when Jesus started out his ministry, we are talking about Mark chapter 1. Anybody get the idea that we're not long into Jesus' busy schedule? Mark chapter 1, Jesus has been anointed by John the Baptist. He's begun his ministry, and in the, he'd moved from Nazareth down to Capernaum as his central place of ministry. And as he began ministry there, everything exploded around him. Look at this. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Imagine that, if that was your Tuesday night. Right? All you did was walk into Peter's house, and Peter's mom, his mother-in-law was sick, you know, and against all internal wiring to not help your mother-in-law out at anything... Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. I'm just kidding. My mother-in-law's here. <laughs> Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. People are like, what? There's a healer in town. There's a healer in town. There's somebody who can heal people. There's a healer in town. Let's go. They, they start to, you know, they, they, they're talking about blah, 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 blah. It goes all around the neighborhood. Precedents outside the region. And suddenly, every single person, not healthy, ordered, scholarly types, not emotionally stable people with regular families who know how to stand in line outside the door types. But no, every broken, dysfunctional, demon-possessed person in the entire community was being dragged to Jesus' well, Peter's front door. And Jesus has to handle that. How long does he handle that? Way late into the night. And tomorrow is going to be another one of those. How would you go if your whole life was overwhelmed like that? 
what would you do? I want to show you what Jesus did. Jesus had order, and he used order to get more order. It says this, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. Do you ever have those nights where you've been so busy, you're just like, man, I just need to sleep in the next day? Jesus is like, I have been so busy, I need to get up early the next day. It's opposite, right? But he reveals his early because, one, he gets up early to seek God. He puts in order the priorities of life. If I am going to survive this, I need God. If I'm going to get, if this is my life from now on, I need to get up to pray earlier than I've ever got up to pray before. If this is going to increase, then I need to increase this. So Jesus gets up early because he knows that prayer is the solution to his problems. And two, he departed and went out to a desolate place. There's no, there's no kind of accidental, you know, Jesus, oh, Lord, help me now, help me now, help me now, demon-possessed person. Jesus purposely goes away. He doesn't leave it to chance. He just doesn't pray at red lights. He doesn't pray, you know, when he gets a moment standing in line. He doesn't pray when there's nothing on his Facebook. He prays because he departs so that he can go get the space to get the thing that he really, really needs. And then three, there he prayed. Jesus knew to pray. Let me ask you this question. Did Jesus just start praying now in this busy moment, or had Jesus learned to pray over the previous 30 years? Jesus had a devoted and a deep prayer life so that when the trial comes, he is so experienced at it that he not only can pray, but he knows how to get what he needs when he prays. He has practiced prayer so that when he hits the big leagues, he knows what to do. He's conditioned for the environment in which he finds himself. He learned to pray. And then Simon and those who are with him and search for him because they got no idea what's going on because they got up four hours after. And they found him and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Did you ever get those, you know, hint statements? Right? You're not going to wear that, are you? It's one of the ones my wife uses on me. You know, question, you know, the answer to that question is, no, I was only wearing it as a joke. <laughs> no, he's, everyone's looking for you, i.e., there's a lineup of a bunch of weird people at the door, uh, and my mom's getting cranky, and we ran out of food. So, Jesus, he said to them, Let's go on to the next town, and I can preach there also, because that's why I came out. You see, Jesus used the order so that he was not overwhelmed by what's happening, so he could go away to God, and he could hear from God, what am I supposed to be doing? And God said to him, amazingly, don't stay here. Keep moving. Keep going to towns. Keep preaching the gospel. They'll want to set you up here. They'll want to hold you here. We're going to start the church of Jesus Christ of Galilee. 
and it's going to be here, 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 and that's not what we're doing. We're moving on. We're going to the next town. We're proclaiming. We're proclaiming your power and authority. We're proclaiming who you are. We're proclaiming the gospel of your kingdom. We are going places so that many people can come into the kingdom, so that many people can become like you. You're going to become the firstborn of many. So you've got to keep moving. And Jesus says, despite what everybody says, despite the chaos, we have to keep moving. You see, that's what we need. But the only way that you ever get that is you have to let God's voice create the order for your life. Can you just hear me for a second? It's God's voice that creates the order for your life. It's not my voice. It's not your parents' voice. It's not your culture's voice. It's not your previous experience. It's not the good things or the bad things. It's God's voice that says, this is how I want you to live. And that when we hear God's voice, we know exactly what we're supposed to do because God's voice creates the order that we need to live by. We live from his word. His word creates the order. Are you hearing me? If you don't hear God speak, if God does not speak to your situation, there's nothing to live by. You have to hear him speak to you. I'm going to finish today with a prophecy. I felt that the Lord wanted me to prophesy again at the beginning of this year. And I want to just prophesy quickly what something that God is wanting me to say for all of us, but also for wider than us. I prophesied at the beginning of last year, and I was quite upset by my prophecy, and I was upset by the result of my prophecy because my prophecy came true. This year I want to prophesy, this is what God is saying. My will will be done. I will have what I have desired. The Lord would say to us and to all you who are listening that the desires of his heart are going to be fulfilled because he will do his will. And in that, you should have peace. Do not rebel against his will. Do not push against his will. Go with his will, because my will will be done. In the name of the Lord. We're going to have a, a time of prayer here as we finish, and Pastor Ash is going to come up and lead us as we pray for some of the people in our church that are unwell, and he has some bad news to share as well about one person in particular. Um, but we're just going to join together as we all pray for God's will to be done, but also for the blessing of his grace in his life and his order to come in us. So I'm going to just lead us in a prayer, and then Ash is just going to take over. Father, we're so grateful that your will is going to be done. Lord, we willingly submit to you. We say, as you desire, according to your will, let it be done, Lord. Just like Mary submitted to you and said, Lord, as you will, let it be. And as Jesus did, 
saying, not my will, but yours. Lord, we say these same prayers and say, God, our Father, do your will. We desire it above all. Give us a willing spirit, a heart of wisdom to see what it is and comply with you. And Lord, the ability to follow you. And Lord, we pray that you would give us the grace to seek you for your word for ordering our lives. Lord, so that we can be those people of blessing, that source of life and light for others, that that stable ground in this world, Lord, that lets other people come and give life and healing and deliverance and restoration, Lord, because you brought us into a good and a, and a beautiful field, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to go into those green pastures that you desire for us and those still waters that are going to bring order and stability to our lives and help us, Lord, to walk in them, to remain in them, and to remain in the goodness that is in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you bless us, Lord, help us, and order our lives so that we can be at peace. And Lord, as you lead us in, in prayers now for people who are hurting or, in, in, uh, or suffering or struggling, Lord, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just inspire our prayers with faith, Lord, so that as we pray, we believe, Lord, and we believe according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you want more information about who we are, visit us at hopecentral.org.au or join us for Sunday worship at any of our three campuses.